Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant. Great to have you with us today. I'm here in uh, the Nashville area, and we are headed into summertime, which means I'm spending more time outside, a lot of time with my kids, but I also like to spend some time grilling. Do you like to grill? Do you like to cook? I'm not great at it, but I like to dabble. I like to try to figure it out. And so uh, we've been doing some grilling. And so it leads me into today's episode, which we are talking with some more owners of a food truck. We did an interview a couple weeks ago with uh, Dave Danhai of the Grilled Cheese Truck out in Los Angeles. It was a really popular episode you can go back and listen to just a few episodes ago if you would like. But some people were like, hey, we want more of that. That was good. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we just all, we like food. And so anything about food, we're in for so today, we're interviewing, interviewing a couple ladies who run a food truck. We're talking with Lisa Carlson and Carrie Summer, who run the, uh, the food truck Chef Shack up in the Minneapolis area in the U.S. So a really great story about how they got going, how they left their chef jobs and, and the, the traditional world that they were in in cooking and culinary and started the, the food truck many years ago and how it's, they built it and grown it. So really good stuff. Let's get right into this, my friends. Here we go. Enjoy this chit-chat with Lisa Carlson and Carrie Summer of Chef Shack Food Truck. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by Lisa Carlson, and uh, occasionally, from time to time, she may pop in her uh, business partner, Carrie Summer, who are the uh, chefs and owners of the Chef Shack Food Truck. So uh, looking forward to getting into their story and journey, but we'll start with Lisa. Lisa, how are you today? I'm very well. Thank you. We were just talking a little bit beforehand. You said you guys were working on smoking some brisket at the moment. So even though we are many miles apart, I'm imagining what it might smell like. It smells really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. We've got the lady pit boss, Carrie, somewhere out there smoking right now. The sun's shining and we just pulled a food truck back from lunch. Nice. How was yeah. lunch today? Is it a good crowd? It was pretty good. It was a little chilly this morning. You know, it's uh, 56 degrees in Minneapolis. It's just kind of picking up for the season. Nice. And so we were talking a little bit beforehand. You said that the food truck business for you is very, very seasonal. So walk us through what's an average year like for you? When are the highs? When are the lows? I'd say, you know, the food truck season really is based on it's weather dependent. Almost feels like 100%. We start pulling the trucks out around April. Still could be snowing in Minneapolis. So we really hit the streets pretty hard in May. We actually do farmer's markets on the weekends. Those start around Mother's Day, and we do three farmer's markets from May until October, and then the weather, again, changes in Minneapolis. It's a little chilly, so we really have about a six-month season, and if you are familiar with Minneapolis at all, the weather can change from 90 degrees one day, snowing the next. It can get really bad really quickly. So if it's only a six-month season for something that is location-independent like a food truck, then why would you not move to somewhere where you can get stretch it to nine months or 12 months out of the year? <laughs> well, our families are here. We love Minneapolis. We were actually the first food trucks out on the street. We helped change the ordinance here in Minneapolis. And I think good here is Carrie sitting here joining us. It's a lovely place. We are huge travelers. So I think we thought maybe this was going to be a perfect career for us as far as being able to travel in the winter, kind of hang up our hats and check out Thailand, India. We've we've been actually, we're big travelers. So that was really kind of what was the 
appeal originally. So as much of the interest in just staying local but and being in the food industry, but it sounds like also just the lifestyle portion to the business of being able to have the freedom and flexibility for half the year to, to explore other opportunities and adventures in life. Yes, absolutely. We have definitely gone into uh, the season longer. You know, we've, we've definitely had the trucks out in the winter. We've done a lot of um, festivals. It's just really pretty challenging on the truck and actually being 50 below weather actually all the elements kind of change with let's say we do uh indian spice mini donuts you know the dough actually starts to freeze the countertops freeze and i think that that would be some of the more challenging pieces that i think we just decided that it was uh it's just a little too cold for us now you mentioned brisket you've talked about donuts what, what all kinds of cuisines and foods do you guys do hi this is chef harry how are you greeting chef good to have you here good yeah we do besides the smoked brisket we do about 300 pounds of pulled pork this, each week. It's just one of our top sellers between pulled pork sandwich, pork taco, a bit of the meat and three on the ranch plate, shotgun burrito with beans and rice, very popular. We do quite a lot of hand-pattied burgers, toasted brioche, all the fixins, a secret sauce, hand-pattied burgers with fries. We just do a ton of those. People love them. People say they're life-changing. We really feel like we've created a benchmark for some of the best burgers in the city. And, uh, yeah, so on and so forth. We do a, quite a lot of vegetarian cuisine, too. We're not just Frenchies who cook with butter, caviar, and uh, cream. We do lots of <laughs> vegan food. We do vegetarian. We make a house-made vegetarian burger out of portobello mushroom, white bean, and roasted beets. We have an excellent tempeh Reuben that's just a hot seller. And all wow. of our salads. We really craft a beautiful salad with herbs, fresh herbs from the gardens that we grow ourselves, beautiful organic lettuces. Once again, all of those are ingredients sourced locally, fresh herbs, sprouts, chef-crafted vinaigrette, just really balanced and quite nice. So we're really proud of our vegetarian cuisine as well. I'm starving now. Just I just had lunch, but I'm already <laughs> hungry just listening to you. Now, you guys have so many different cuisines that you rattled off there. Do you offer all of those at any given time, or is it just kind of seasonal depending on what's what's in at the time? Or how do you kind of pick and choose? Because one of the things I would wonder about just the restaurant space in general is I would assume it would be difficult to have a successful restaurant where you serve all of those different cuisines. But it sounds like you could kind of get away with that in, in some ways in the food truck world. Is that true? We do. We are trained chefs. We've been in the business a long time. We are the high-volume food truck leaders and caterers in, in our Midwest area. We have a strong brigade of talented cooks as well. So we're able to execute at a high level all of those cuisines usually at any given time. Burgers, tacos, pulled pork, the smoked brisket, salads, vegetarian cuisine. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, let's go back in time a little bit. I'm interested in hearing about your guys, your story and journey about how you guys got connected. Did you both kind of come up in a food culinary world or where did that interest in food come from? Right. Definitely. I grew up in a ranching and farming family. I was a 4-H'er at an early age. I spent a decade in 4-H that really nurtured my agriculture interests. My family operated always two gardens in two different counties in my state. We always had scratch cookery. My grandmothers were excellent cooks. I always just thought that they made food, you know, out of thin air, just like magic, always a big dinner, Saturday night, Sunday night. Food was very centric in my upbringing. And looking back now, it was a pure luxury because I thought everyone grew up in that manner, which as you know, when you age and you discover the world, you know, not everyone is so fortunate. 
So did you always want to go into like that, like being a chef or just having your own restaurant or working in the industry? Did you always just assume like that was the next logical step for you? I jumped into the industry in my early 20s at a French restaurant. It was really a beautiful spot. I spent three years there. At that point, I did discover, wow, this is the highest level of entertaining and making people happy with food, and I'm good at it. I do want to own my own restaurant someday. I do remember having those feelings in my early 20s. It just took a little while. I tried then to gravitate toward every big-name chef I could to learn as much as I could, both front and back of the house. I learned how to wait tables and just manage the front, as well as cooking in the back of the house, purchasing, et cetera, wine and beer, liquor. I really tried to um, learn as much as I could every place I worked, definitely. So you always wanted to have your own restaurant or just work in, in someone else's restaurant, or what was kind of the ideal goal for you? The ultimate goal for me in, as an early junior chef, I definitely wanted to have my own place. That was always a goal. I just thought that that would be the ultimate in uh, entertaining and you know controlling my destiny. Now, I worked in a, a couple of fine dining restaurants in college and in my 20s, and working in a fine dining restaurant is fun. I like the fast-paced atmosphere of it, but it's also, it was a very, I could see, like, if you were the head chef, it's a very, very time-consuming, life-consuming type of endeavor. So did you just kind of assume, uh-huh. like, that's just par for the course? Like, that's what I'm, that's the trade-off you have to make? Or what were you kind of thinking Absolutely. at that point? Absolutely. I think in many genres and careers across the board, in our world, if you want to be on the top of the pack, you have to devote your life to your craft for at least a decade and then further on. I knew that that's what it would take. I was passionate and very driven as a young person to attain that goal, and I have achieved it 20 years later. Definitely. What kind, like, what kind of sacrifices have you had to make along the way, though, to, to get to where you are? <laughs> wow. The list is long, but just off the top of my head, like working... You know, every holiday, every weekend, Mother's Day, Easter, Fourth of July, summertime, come fall, every major holiday, telling my parents and my family I had to work. I mean, that is the sacrifice. We are working and entertaining when everyone else is off, and that is just how the restaurant industry goes. That is the choice and the sacrifice. I coach people along the way and mentor young cooks, and and that is a topic of discussion of late night hours, long hours, holidays, weekends, like we entertain and feed people when the rest of the world is off playing. And that is a choice I think have, have that young persons need to make early on in this career or, you know, it, it just really won't work out because establishments need people nights and weekends. And, and that is, I think, a big part of the business. And teams and brigades, they don't really accommodate people who want too much time off on the weekends. It just, it really doesn't fit into the cog of the wheel. And so, yeah, that's very much the thing. Working when I'm tired, working when I don't quite feel up to it. I mean, it just is part of the business and you have to push on through. Here in the Midwest, as a former New York cooks, the both of us, we have a lot of stamina and I can pretty much outwork anybody. I'm 25 years older and we do talk about that amongst our community and our brigade that, you know, as um, experienced New York cooks and our experience in that manner is at a very high intensity and that is something that perhaps I think any given young individual needs to understand that you know there are days that call for long hours and sometimes a split shift and you need to take a break in between and get your rest and hydration and eat a little something you know any moment you can because this is a very high pressure high intense long marathon 
it is about the marathon. Yeah. Well, and I think you make a great like you make a great point there. That's not exclusive to just restaurants, but I think for anything that outside looking in, it's easy yeah. to say you have a food truck. That sounds cool. That's glamorous. You get six <laughs> months off the year to travel around, but like you don't see like the hours and hours and hours of prep time that go into it, and working and uh, you know being away from family and working the long hours and being on your feet all right. day, and just some of yeah. like the non glamorous, non sexy parts that nobody sees <laughs> that they go into anything. I think one of the other great points you make there is that it's important to realize and recognize some of that before you go into anything, you know, and a restaurant world or having a food truck isn't the only job that has its downsides to it. As much as anybody may enjoy something, there's no such thing as a perfect job or a perfect career. So realizing that there's always going to be these, you know, negative pieces that may go along with it. So is there anything that you've had to, you guys have had to do over time to just overcome some of those mental hurdles of going, okay, I know that this is what I signed up for, but like right now it sucks and I hate it and I'm tired <laughs> and I just, I just want to go home and take a nap. Like, how do you overcome yeah, right. some of that? I had very driven, professional, entrepreneurial parents who raised me quite young to believe and know to be true that you got to push on through. Each moment will not last. If you're having a tough moment, just know it's going to pass. But you, I grew up in a very committed family. Like if you started something, you, you keep pushing. That's one thing I talk about a lot with young people I'm mentoring. You cannot give up. If you give up, it will be just a lifetime of lack of commitment. And so I'm very driven. Whatever we've committed to, we keep pressing through, even when times are tough. You have to keep going. That's, I think, one of the biggest parts. And across the board in any field, it applies to many, many other industries. You have to keep going. There are tough times, but just know that that will pass too. There's a lot of highs and lows in everything. And I think perseverance, pressing on commitment, all of those, are to be really cherished and, and held high, in my opinion. The fact that we, this is Lisa again, that, that we work for ourselves. You know, right. I think that, that that's a driving force, that we are our own bosses. We have to show up. We've got to be there. I think we've been able to lean on each other quite a bit. Right. I'm curious. Give me the story of how you guys connected and how you guys came together and decided to work together. Lisa hired me 14 years ago at a cafe that she was turning over with the owner into a a French bistro. It was a, a long-time coffee shop. It was a great location. The owner ended up deciding to turn it into a bistro with wine and beer. I heard through another colleague that she was looking for a strong line cook. I was coming from a pastry position, but I have savory background too, and I knew I could offer uh, quite a lot of expertise in the opening of a new endeavor. So my friend told me to go meet her, and um, we did. I, I had an interview, and she was just coming off of her New York working and I thought that that was quite interesting. I had not met quite any female chefs at that point in my career, so that was an anomaly. I thought it was wonderful. She was um, very knowledgeable. She had a lot of great ideas. She had a very concrete plan. I think that that was really interesting. Consequently, we fell in love a few months later. (laughs) And yeah, I'll never forget that time in my life. We've been together 14 years. Nice. Uh, now, I'm curious, though, and you kind of alluded to this there, that in kind of a, I would assume is, is a fairly male-dominated industry for head chefs, how do you separate yourself from the pack and prove that you can hang with the guys? And I'm speaking as a father of three daughters, and knowing that I worked in a restaurant that was filled with all guys on the back of the house. So how do you kind of uh, differentiate yourself and, and show that, no, no, I, I can play at this level? Right. That's a very good question and and something that's talked about nationally now, just with the increasing rise of women in kitchens. For me and my background, my father was a home builder and a contractor. So my first industry was working alongside a guy's finished carpentry. 
and cleaning up job sites. I also, like I said, came from a farming and ranching family. So I grew up doing quite a lot of heavy labor at an early age. So I wasn't shy of hard work. I knew how to work and pick up tools and just get going. I wasn't afraid to get dirty being raised in that culture. Also, just, you know, getting my hands into into things. Also, my parents raised me to be really independent and a strong person, working, like I said, pressing on through obligations and commitments and first jobs and then chores and all this extra stuff. But also in the kitchens that I experienced on early on in my career, I showed a lot of talent early on and my chefs took note of that. So I rose within the ranks of every kitchen that I stepped foot in quickly. And so I had an automatic, I think, I don't know, just I never quite experienced sexism that I couldn't overcome. I just joked with the guys because I, it wasn't an obstacle for me. I'm a bigger woman too, so I'm pretty tall and I can hold my own and I just never really had a problem. But I think if you have talent, if you're willing to go the extra mile, if you just put your head down and work, you know, I think that there's, the culture is changing. Cool. So you guys worked together for a little while at the bistro. At what point did you decided that, hey, let's do our own thing. Let's do, you know, we could open a restaurant. We could open a bistro. We could open any number of things. At what point did the, the food truck enter the conversation? Right. Yeah. After we opened that bistro together, spent about two and a half years on and off, you know, guiding the whole program as it evolved with staffing and menu changes and uh, lots of travel in between. We took some time off. I knew within the first year, I thought, wow, we could really be a great entrepreneurial team and have a great brand someday, combining our talents and our expertise. The food truck idea really kind of was emerging in 2006. There was some time in between where we were traveling. Lisa was cooking in New York or San Francisco. I did a little stint in New York. But the food truck really was bubbling up on the East and West Coast in 2005 and 2006. And I thought, wow, this is super cool and we could do this with very little investment and I started tuning into that and I thought it could be something really cool and sure enough it was the next big thing. I don't see the trend fading away at any given time. People have a very fast lifestyle now and they want something satisfying rapidly and I, I do think it's, it's not going away. But that was in 2006. We started talking about either restaurant or food truck or something of that nature. You started talking about 2006. At what point did you actually have the truck and decided that that was the next logical step for you? Fall of 2000. The fall of 2007. So just before that, we had just done one season at the farmer's market on a table, actually. Carrie did Indian Spice Mini Donuts, and I did Tomato Watermelon Gazpacho. All right. So was that basically kind of like a, a validation phase for you of like, let's just test it this was. on a very yeah. like <laughs> low cost, low risk thing? Because if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And we haven't invested, you know, tens of thousands into a truck yeah. that exactly. nobody cares about. Yeah. Like for someone that may be interested in doing something similar. And again, I think this is applicable to anything of instead of saying, all right, let's just open the huge restaurant. Let's spend tens of thousands of dollars. No, no let's yeah. just start by doing like an in-home catering thing and just see if anybody even I likes know. my food. Yeah. So it sounds like that's really what helped you guys decide like hey i think this does work i think there is a market here let's take the next logical step and and do a food truck yep start small don't quit your day job that's what i tell everyone (laughs) so at the time when you had the food truck did you still have the bistro and the day jobs we were working chefs in the city and by the time we actually got the first food truck i think carrie quit her job right away i still hung on for a little while just to make sure we could make it through the winter 
At what point did you feel like the stars were aligned in enough of a way that you could make the leap and both do it full time? Because I think that's one thing, like I know a lot of people that listen to the show have trouble with, of going like, I've got this thing and it's going okay. And it's, you know, at this point, I'm basically, I feel like I'm working two full-time jobs because I've got the normal job that pays the bills and I've got this new thing that's starting to pay the bills, but there's not quite enough there. So at what point do you know when it's okay to, to make the leap? I guess it just depends on how risky you are and how how comfortable you feel and how many bills you've got to pay. You know, we actually made a lot of sacrifices, like you were asking Carrie, and, you know, we actually moved into a studio apartment, you know, unheard of at our age, just to make those kind of sacrifices, making sure we had just very low overhead and just making sure we could survive. So I'd say about a year and a half into it, I felt safe enough to go into it full time, and she felt safe pretty much right away like she was just she was gonna make it happen all right so you're both like top-notch chefs in the city you've worked at some high-profile restaurants all over the country with some top-name chefs and you decide to open a food truck and try to get things going by living in a studio apartment what is everybody else thinking are people thinking like you've lost your mind or this is crazy or this will never work or like what kind of positive or negative feedback are you getting absolutely they thought we had lost our minds our fellow (laughs) chefs friends absolutely thought we were crazy. What are you guys doing? I don't really get it. What's that thing you're driving around? Like they completely didn't get it. Five years into it, they're like, how much are those trucks? (laughs) Like how long were you doing it where maybe, or were there times where you were even wondering yourself, like, what are we doing? Like maybe we should just go the traditional route and go find a job in the city or just open our own place. Are you starting to second guess yourself at all early on? No, I think it, it was very fitting. I think I didn't quit my job until I felt quite comfortable. So I think with our low overhead, it felt pretty safe to me. I think that it took about, I would say, five years. And we had to literally at the beginning almost beg the local press to actually write about what we were doing and, and how it was happening on the East and West Coast. We were actually getting a lot of national press at the very beginning between being in Forbes a couple times and USA Today and you know, we were getting really great press, but we, we did have to kind of put it out there to our local press and just say, this is it. This is what's going to happen. This is this is what's coming. This is this is a trend. It's going to happen. And I feel like a lot of people were very much doubtful and not believing. Were you guys the first food truck in the city? So whenever you're starting something that you've seen work on the coast, and you know eventually it's kind of... And I grew up in the Midwest, grew up in Missouri. We just moved to Nashville a couple months ago. So I've, I understand that most things happen on the coast and move inward, but there's plenty of things that happen on the coast that never make it in. So were you ever worried that this was not going to take off or was not going to catch on and become kind of mainstream in the Midwest? I think I had a maybe just just a little moment, but I, I think with that low <laughs> risk, even if it never did pick up like it did, I do think that we still would have been okay. You know, we, we bought the trucks used. We actually have three trucks now and have had three trucks for quite some time. So I think that the investment, it felt less risky when you when you just don't get in over your head. We could have afforded to lose everything and, and still been okay. I know I could get a chef job anytime. So I guess there was some security and just feeling like we didn't 
spend you know everything we had. Well, I think you make a great point there, though, that it's easy to look at it and be like, you know, yeah, it's it's risky to you know to quit your jobs and to start this thing. That's, that's you're not guaranteed success at all. But maybe the riskier thing is just staying put and wondering, like, getting to the end of your life and kind of having a life of regret. Going, man, I wonder what would have happened if we would actually tried that food truck. Maybe it worked. Maybe it didn't. And I think we all had those moments of. I wish I would have tried. I didn't try, and so I'll, I'll never know. So it sounds like you guys almost had a little bit of that as well. Right. We still have people call us probably once a week just saying, like, they want to open a food truck. And I said, please come and spend the day with us. See if it's even something that you would be interested in after a full day of work. Right. It's very different from restaurant work. I mean, it's really like a restaurant on wheels. You have got to take into consideration that once you leave the kitchen site, you need to have everything on you and and you've got to have your water electric uh, gas propane everything's got to be set and ready and it's a lot of it's a, it's most comparable i guess to maybe catering Whenever you first opened, so you'd gone from having you know just a table at the farmer's market and it done well, and then you you get the truck. Did it catch on immediately, or did it still take a little bit for people to kind of understand it and get the concept? It took a little while. I think it took a year and a half before the actual regulations kind of passed here in Minneapolis. We were able to do the the truck at the farmer's market. I think the regulations were just a little bit more relaxed. You couldn't really have a food truck on the street. So that passed maybe a year and a half into us already having a truck. So I think that really opened up the, the floodgates. I think, you know, maybe there were between five to 10 trucks that first year, maybe. Now I think there's 200. Right. Wow. And so did once the, by doing the, the farmer's market on a regular basis, were you starting to build more of a regular clientele and just customer base? Absolutely. We were, we had already had some of our own clientele. I mean, people knew where we had worked. We have good reputation. We are chefs in town. I think that that really kind of bridged that gap. People had a lot of curiosity. People were very open to, you know, some of our first customers were absolutely travelers, people that had seen trucks before, or at least eaten on the streets, really understanding that street culture. Interesting. I'm curious about for someone who may be interested in in having their own food truck or kind of going down that route, what they might want to do. We're going to save that, though, for the bonus round. So I'm going to let you ponder that. If there's anything that you would do differently now if you were starting a food truck, but we'll answer that in just a second. But in the meantime, if anybody is near the Minneapolis or Tri-City St. Paul area, where can we send people? Where can we find you guys and find out more about you? Well, we're definitely at the um, Mill City Farmer's Market every Saturday morning from 8 a.m. until 1 p.m. Cool. And that's uh, right by the Guthrie Theater. We are at the um, Kingfield Farmer's Market on 43rd Nicholas. And then there's a really wonderful truck culture downtown Minneapolis right on Marquette. There's anywhere from 10 to 15 trucks down there every day for lunch from 11 to 1.30. Beautiful. So if we're in the Minneapolis area, we'll definitely encourage people to stop by, check that out. Do you guys have a website online anywhere we can check out? We do. Chef Shack Ranch. ChefShackRanch.com? Awesome. We'll be sure and link up to that as well. So, girls, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. We're going to be coming back at the, with the uh, the bonus round. I'll ask you a few more questions and uh, share a couple <laughs> other ideas and thoughts with you. So we'll, we'll see you over awesome. there. Awesome. Great. All right, there you go, my friends. Hope you enjoyed that chit-chat with Lisa Carlson and Carrie Summer of the Chef Shack Food Truck. 
man, every time I listen to someone talk about food, I'm just hungry. It makes me want to uh, go make a little field trip up to Minneapolis just to try some of their food. So if you are in the area, make sure you stop by, check out what it is that they're up to. But if not, you'll just have to settle for listening to the interview and the, the chit-chat with them. But if you haven't already, make sure you also download the bonus material where we stick around for a few extra minutes. And you can download that at grantbalden.com slash podcast and uh, check it out. It is deliciously good stuff. Uh, hey, as always, uh, feel free to email me, grant to grantbalden.com. Let me know what you're chewing on, wrestling with, what I can do to help you out on your own journey to find and do work you love. We'd love to be able to, uh, to support you there. So that wraps up this episode, boys and girls. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.